May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. God's people said, Amen. In January of 2020, I purchased a good set of used golf clubs from one of my neighbors. He had advertised them on the neighborhood Facebook page where you see things for sale and so forth. I got a good deal on the clubs, bag, irons, fairway woods and all. And my neighbor assured me that they still had a whole lot of shots left in them. I had all good intentions of getting back into golfing in 2020. And then in March, well, when March arrived, so did the pandemic. And like most everything else, the opportunity for my golfing, at least, came to a halt. We were just so busy with trying to figure out how to pivot and do things like live stream worshiping and keeping our congregation safe from the virus that I just didn't have time to go out there and, and play like I would want to. So my new clubs just sat in the garage. Recently, one of our church members invited me to play, and I gladly accepted. The weather was perfect, and there was no one teeing off behind us, which makes me so much calmer. I don't like to be rushed when I'm playing because, I well, I spend most of my time in the woods. And it's also good because the last time I golfed was the fall of 2019, two years ago. The morning of our tea time, I dusted off my new clubs, picked off the, the cobwebs, literally. I checked my golf shoes for critters and headed off to the course. Maybe today would be the day. A couple of years off, be like a fresh start. Can you see the enthusiasm? Can you feel it? Keep your head down, Bob, the mental messages. Don't kill the ball. Let the club do the work. Who invented that saying, by the way? <laughs> Just let the club do the work. It's true, but not for me. Don't overthink it. Yoga Berra's baseball philosophy is certainly true for golf as well. I've adapted it for golf. Golf is 90% mental, and the other half is physical. You'll get it in a little bit. I had a wonderful day, and my neighbor was right. The clubs had a whole lot of shots left in them, and I used them all in that round of golf. And the question is, why is my scorecard about the same as it was 25 years ago? The answer, I believe, is twofold. First, I don't practice. I don't. I don't go to the driving range. I don't go out in the yard and hit wiffle golf balls. I don't practice. And second, if I'm honest, Golf is not a priority in my life. A lot of reasons for that, but, you know, like when Isabella was playing softball from 6th grade till she aged out in 11th grade, we were at the ball field two to three days a week, practices and games, and then she and I would be out pitching and hitting and so forth. 
So I really didn't have as much time to devote to four or five hours, sometimes longer than that, for a golf game regularly. But I complain about my game. I gripe about errant tee shots and whiff clubs and missed putts and so forth. I want to be better, but I don't do what's necessary to make any change in my game. Therefore, and I even said this the other day, I have no legitimate reason to complain about how I play because I don't do the things that are necessary to improve. As Christians, don't we make the same argument about our spiritual lives and the state of our churches, not just HRBC, but the church overall? As people, individuals, we wonder often why our personal spiritual practices can often be the same as they were 25, 30, 40 years ago, that we look back and if we do some self-evaluation, sometimes we're not uh, further along in our Christian life than we were all those years ago. And I'm not trying to be judgmental because I am the same way. I look back and I wonder, why don't I pray more effectively? Why don't I spend more time with God? Why don't I spend more time just opening up the Bible and reading and asking God to pour into my spirit from his word, which is the lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Why are praying and Bible reading such a struggle for me, even as your pastor? I'm supposed to be the one who has it all together. And what's the first thing that often gets cut short because of all the other crisis situations that we have come up? Prayer and scripture alone with God. And you and I both know that if the leader of the congregation is not spending appropriate time cultivating that relationship with God in solitude and seeking God through Scripture and prayer, how can I expect any of you to do that? Things got to change. I have to look at where I need to spend my time most effectively and then make decisions to do that unlike the decisions that I've made to just not prioritize my golfing. We might ask, why am I afraid of making commitments to serve in our church? Why do we feel like, well, it's somebody else's responsibility or I've been there and done that, somebody else's time now? Why do we think that a 12% credit card is uh, interest is, is a really good deal and then we have such a, a difficult time with a 10% tithe and see that as unattainable and unsustainable. These kinds of questions we ask ourselves, I ask myself. We wonder why so many of our traditional churches are experiencing a decline on the front end and an increased exodus on the back end, out the back door. Why do many churches lack a clear and compelling vision, a north star that everybody knows? Why do we often graduate towards maintaining what was and managing what is rather than faithfully trusting in the God who knows our future and has plans for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future? I don't have all the answers. If I did, I'd probably be on a TV 
blasted all over the world. I don't have all the answers, right? But I would like to offer a first step for Christians in our churches, and that is that first step is to get back to the basics. To get back to the basics. In other words, perhaps we need to renew our vow to God. If you're a Christian, can you think back to the time when you first accepted Jesus? I don't know what that was like for you. For me, I, I remember being at a, a youth revival meeting in the town of South Carolina where I went to high school. And I remember sitting there on the edge of the uh, seat. It was in the auditorium in the town where we lived. And I remember... Uh, David Stockwell was the preacher, and he gave an invitation to the gospel. And I, I felt that I did not get up, but that I was lifted up out of my seat and went to the uh, front to pray with one of the counselors there and remember just the, the feeling of joy and freedom and relief that I had. And I remember they gave me a Bible that night and they told me to write in the Bible, which I did, and then to go home and tell my parents about what the decision was that I had become a Christian and um, to tell them about the experience and how excited I was when I got home to do that. I believe that those are the things that we can forget and we allow life to get in the way and perhaps God desires for us to renew our vow to Get back like we were at the very beginning. If we're not a believer in Christ and you're in the room today, I pray that maybe today or in the days ahead that you will come to a realization and a response to Jesus Christ, the living Son of the living God, to commit your life to Him and walk with Him in discipleship and experience the joy of serving Him. We need to get back to the basics, I believe, as a church, not just here, but as a big C church, Christians all over. Maybe we've lost our first love. The book of Revelation says this in the second chapter. God is instructing John, the writer of Revelation, to write to seven particular churches, and they're listed there in the first part of the book of Revelation. And the church of Ephesus is the first church to receive such words. And the Bible says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And God is saying, verse 2 of chapter 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. God sees all of that, your deeds and hard work and perseverance. And then says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. Not only have you worked hard, Ephesus, but you've also been able to discern false spirits from the true ones. Good work. Verse 3, you have persevered and endured hardships for my name and you've not grown weary. You have suffered in the name of Christ, and you have pressed on. Well done, Ephesus. And then verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. And then verse 5, 
Repent and do the things you did at first. In other words, get back to the basics. You've done a lot of wonderful things, but you've lost your first love. And our first love, in my understanding of God, should be time with God individually, and that helps us relationally as a community of faith. How can we get back to the basics of the relational elements of our first love as Christians? It's like when a married couple renews their vows and remembers the things that made their love so strong in the beginning. Maybe the first time you set eyes on them. There are two foundational elements that we're talking about this morning, Scripture and prayer, prayer and Scripture. And they are most powerful when we make time alone for God in solitude and allow God to speak to our hearts through Scripture and prayer. Two weeks ago, as we talked about the spiritual discipline of solitude, we said, as just a reminder to us, that solitude is creating space in our lives for God. Just like the other day, I made space in my life for a round of golf. Solitude is the daily making time alone with God, for being with God, to be still and know God is God. Solitude opens the door for the other practices like prayer and Scripture, Scripture and prayer, and others like Bible study, rest, exercise, self-examination, Sabbath-keeping, and so on. Ruth Haley Barton talks about these in her book, Sacred Rhythms, which is the framework for our sermon series this fall. And she says, solitude is a place where only God will do. It's a place in time marked daily where we spend time with God. It's a physical place like your easy chair, your back deck, or your morning walks. And it's a place inside ourselves where we still our spirits to hear the voice of God, that our hearts might beat to the rhythm of the heart of God. Solitude attempts to interrupt the cycle of consumerism and performance-based spirituality by turning off the noise and the stimulation in our lives so that we can hear our loneliness and longings calling us into a deeper relationship with the only one who can help us, the living God the only relationship that really matters. Barton's book is powerful, and one of her statements about solitude is worth saying again this morning. She writes, We are teetering on the brink of dangerous exhaustion, and we really cannot do anything else until we've gotten some rest. The other spiritual practices are a wonderful smorgasbord of spiritual sustenance, but we really can't engage, she says, in any of this until solitude becomes a place of rest for us rather than another place for human striving and hard work. Often we are like that church at Ephesus where we're working hard, persevering, doing the right thing, but we have lost our first love of spending time with the Heavenly Father. And Barton writes, we get busy making stuff happen rather than waiting on God to make stuff happen. I'm concerned that this consumer 
performance-based mindset is part of the culture of many churches, and it can affect ours as well. And we get caught up with a works righteousness and overlook our first love of alone time with God. So let's build on the foundation of solitude and get back to the basics of Scripture and prayer. Prayer and Scripture. Building on the foundation of solitude, let's talk first about the reading of Scripture. We can approach it in a lot of ways, right? And it's okay to study Scripture in a lot of different ways, from a historical critical methodology to devotional to informational to just the history of the Scripture, anthropologically, architecturally, all of these kind of things. But I would suggest that foundationally we move from looking at Scripture as information to transformation, that God's Word is living and will change our lives. We can be transformed simply in the presence of God as we are reading the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 2 says that we want to seek the Lord God with all our heart. And that's it, that our hearts would beat with the heart of the Lord. The psalmist uses eight different Hebrew words in Psalm 119 to describe the Word of God. One of them is Torah, which describes the laws of God or the, and also the first five books of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The other words are translated as law, statutes, precepts, commands, commandments, ordinances, decrees. These are all referring to the Torah, the law of God. And as you look through and read Psalm 119, you see so many beautiful ways the psalmist is reflecting on the story of Redemption, which is really all that we've all about the first five books in the Bible. It's not a, a list of rules and regulations that the psalmist is encouraging us to love, but rather it's the redemption story of God. That as Pastor Aaron said in the children's sermon, it helps us to know where home is. To devote oneself to God's law is to be immersed in the story of God's redeeming love, the kind of love that the, the father had for the prodigal son as you read that parable in the ch 15th chapter of Luke. That son who had wandered off knew where home was. So would you take time alone with God, solitude as a foundation, and begin reading Scripture to be transformed. Maybe this week the first step for you and me would be to memorize Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The second practice building on this foundation of solitude is the practice of prayer. Our goal in praying is to move from communication to communion. 
that we're not just talking to God and telling God everything that we need, but our prayers enable us to commune with God and one another. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. His word helps us to articulate our needs to God, but also listen to what God is saying to us. We speak, God listens. God speaks, we listen. In his book, Before Amen, Max Licato writes, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he gave them a prayer, not a lecture on prayer, not the doctrine of prayer. He gave them a quotable, repeatable, portable prayer, which we read earlier and shared in our pastoral prayer this morning. He knew what they needed. They needed guidance, and they came to him with teachable hearts. Max Licato, by the way, we're doing that, the study of that book on Wednesday nights here at the church, and it's a, a wonderful book called Before Amen. Helps us to get back to some of the very basics of what it means to pray. Licato goes on to say that prayer is simply a heartfelt conversation between God and His child. So can you and I ask God for help to set apart time in solitude with God and in that solitude begin the practice of reading Bible and praying. And maybe over time we'll be able to look back and see some growth, not only is in us and individuals, but in our church. Not numeric growth, I'm talking about spiritual growth, that we are closer to God, more like Jesus, the church more like the body of Christ, the community around us more reflective of the kingdom of God. I believe these are the things that will happen when we devote ourselves to the very basics of prayer and scripture. So you say, Pastor Bob, how can I do that? Pastor Matthew's already told us about the memory verse. Okay, I get that. That's one verse. I think I can, I can do that. Here are two other things. One's on the screen and one you heard about earlier. The first one is this. Maybe you'll write this week an alphabet prayer of your own. Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm. Acrostics have a verse for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And there were 22 characters in the Hebrew alphabet. We have 26, but the Hebrew had 22. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, and so forth. Psalm 119 is more than just a verse for each character. It's a paragraph for each character. So if you read some of your Bibles, you will see the Hebrew character for that part of the Hebrew alphabet as you go through the entirety of Psalm 119. I'm suggesting that we can take that model and write our own psalm prayer. Start with A and, and tell God whatever is on your heart. B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. That we will write in our journal 
an alphabet prayer. Tell God whatever's on your heart and listen to what God would have you right now. Maybe it would be like the little girl, her daddy heard her saying her bedtime prayers as she stood by her threshold of her door. And she was praying, and then she started praying like that. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, elemental peace. And the next day, her dad said, honey, I heard you saying your ABCs when you were doing your bedtime prayers. What was that about? What? What were you doing? And she said, well, I figured I would just give God all of the letters of the alphabet because he knows what I need and he could put it all together. Maybe that alphabet prayer would be that way to you. And then the second practical thing, uh, application, um, is to join us in the next seven weeks for a time of fervent reading of Scripture and prayer. Pastor Matthew has talked about memorizing a verse, and he has also, as part of our visioning journey, worked with our deacon leadership to put together this seven-week prayer guide for discernment and vision for Huguenot Road Baptist Church. You'll get this in your email today, in your Go With God email. The prayer uh, markers looks like a bookmark. I have a big copy of it, but it looks like a bookmark out on the narthex table. Uh, so you can have one tangibly or you can get it electronically. Go to our website and so forth. Um, five out of the seven days of the week for the next seven weeks, there will be specific scriptures and prayers as we go forward together seeking God's vision and a new dream for Huguenot Road Baptist Church. We're working with Dr. Bill Wilson from the Center for Healthy Churches on this opportunity. And he was with us last Sunday and will begin with be with us later this month as well. So pray, uh, make an alphabet prayer and join us over the next seven weeks in discerning God's vision through scripture and prayer. We'll be starting off in Exodus chapter 19. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. And I pray that in the years to come that we will be able to look back on this opportunity that getting back to the basics and have seen significant transformation. Let's bow together.